This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello, and welcome to TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. As always, I'm your host, Dan Klein. Today, we will be taking a deep dive into one of the newer and exciting frontiers in TSC research, newborn screening. Last fall, the TSC Alliance hosted an innovation workshop that brought together TSC researchers, newborn screening experts, and other nonprofits with experience advocating for other diseases to be included in the newborn screening panel to start to set the roadmap forward. From that meeting, the TSC Alliance put a call out to our community for dried blood spots from infants with TSC in certain states to help eventually validate an assay. And earlier this month, we put out a call for proposals to fund research to start developing that assay. To get a better sense of the history of newborn screening, what's required to have a disease added to the recommended uniform screening panel and what the clinical and research benefits are to having TSC included in the newborn screening panel, I spoke to Dr. Hope Northrup, Director of the Division of Medical Genetics, Professor in the Department of Pediatrics, and TSC Clinic Director at the McGovern Medical School at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. Hope was the absolute perfect person to provide historical context for this process because her career includes taking a deep interest in both TSC and newborn screening. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Hope. So we're now joined by Dr. Hope Northrup, director in the Division of Medical Genetics and professor in the Department of Pediatrics at the McGovern Medical School at the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. Hope, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me, Daniel. So one of the new frontiers in TSC is this concept of newborn screening. Last year, we had an innovation workshop just to talk about how we can get to a point where we can screen newborns for TSC. So maybe to provide just a little bit of context, what is newborn screening? Basically, newborn screening is screening for the possibility of a disease in order to identify the individuals who have the disease and be able to treat them proactively instead of reactively. And I think it's best to talk a little bit about the history of newborn screening to help everyone understand how it came about and how it works. So newborn screening came about in the early 1960s. And the very first disease that was screened for is a disease called phenylketonuria or PKU. So what happened is that there was a scientist named Robert Guthrie and he had a child who had intellectual disability and he got very passionate about people with intellectual disability and whether there could be any interventions that would prevent it. And he developed an assay in order to be able to determine if someone had PKU, which was not what his son had, had PKU that we could figure out when they were born, right after they were born, because we knew that if we intervened with a special diet, those individuals could be cognitively normal. And that's why the very first assay used in newborn screening is called the Guthrie assay by many people because of Dr. Robert Guthrie. And so the first disease was PKU because the etiology of PKU had been discovered in the 1930s by Dr. Foling in Germany. A mother brought her two children who had PKU and he figured out what was wrong with them and they were both severely intellectually disabled. And over the intervening time from the late 30s until 1960, we figured out that if we could give these individuals a special diet, we could prevent their intellectual disability. 
baby. And so that's why newborn screening got started. So then it grew over time. And the way that it worked in the United States is that it was done state by state. So when I started as a physician in the 80s in my training and then later at McGovern Medical School in the 1990s, newborn screening was kind of like the Wild West. Every state was a little different. If you were born in Oklahoma, you were screened only for PKU. If you were born in Massachusetts, you were screened for 30 diseases. So families who had a child who ended up with a devastating disease that wasn't screened for in their state were upset that we'd only lived in a different state. Maybe we'd have figured this out and our child could have been treated or and not either had a bad outcome or frankly died. So that was why newborn screening over time has become more federally mandated. And so what developed over time was something called the RUSP or the Recommended Uniform Screening Panel. And I will have to brag a very famous and wonderful geneticist named Dr. Rodney Howell is the person who has led these efforts in the U.S. and even worldwide to try to have newborn screening for more diseases, more widely available and more uniform. And so now, because we have this uniform screening panel that is recommended federally, all of the states are pushed and encouraged to include all the diseases that are on that panel. And the agency that does it is the HRSA, Health Resources and Services Administration, that's part of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. So HRSA is the main body that has the process to get a disease added to the recommended uniform screening panel. So that's kind of how it happened in our country. And, you know, even as recently as when I started in the early 90s in Texas, we only had five diseases. And now we have 54, 55 that are included on our newborn screen. So you provide a little history of newborn screening here starting in the 60s -hmm. and talking about that recommended uniform screening panel. Today, there are 61 diseases or conditions that are part of that panel, 35 five core and 26 secondary. Why so few when there are thousands of diseases? So newborn screening has a couple of tenets that I think is important for people to understand. So for a disease to be considered for newborn screening, we want to meet certain criteria. First of all, we want something called analytic validity. That means we have a rapid economic test we can do in the lab that will find a metabolite or a protein in the body that clues us in that maybe the person has that disease. Maybe the baby has a disease. So first of all, you've got to have a test. That test has to be pretty sensitive. We want to find every single person who has the disease if the disease qualifies for newborn screening. We are not as concerned about false positives. So we're not that upset about alarming parents that there's a possibility their child has the disease because We really don't want to miss anyone who really does. So, for example, in PKU, out of 20 newborn screens that are positive for PKU, one will truly have PKU. And that does mean we unnecessarily alarm a lot of people that their child may have a particular disease. But the way it works is the system is in place to get the child referred and to the appropriate specialist who then does what we call diagnostic testing, which is very different than screening. Screening means you may or may not have it. Diagnostic is how we determine you have this condition. So we're very concerned about missing anyone who really has it. We're 
we're a little less concerned about inappropriately identifying people who might have it who do not. So that's another important piece. There has to be what we call clinical utility. And the clinical utility has five elements. There is some kind of treatment available. Early institution of treatment before the patient would present with symptoms will make a better outcome. So working proactively instead of reactively, very important. If you look at that baby and you just examine them, you are not going to necessarily make that diagnosis just based on a physical and observation. You need a test to help us determine, sure enough, they have this problem. The disease that we're screening for has to be common enough and have a serious enough outcome that it justifies the cost of doing the screening and identifying them. And we have to have a public health infrastructure in place in the states so that we can identify them, get them to the right specialist, get the proper treatment, figure out if they have it, get the proper treatment and so forth. So all those pieces of the puzzle have to be in place in order for us to consider a disease and have a disease. Now, when newborn screening started, there was a lot more strict thought about treatment than there is today. So a number of the diseases that are included today, for some of them, there isn't really good treatment, but knowing the diagnosis is going to change our approach to the patient. And it's going to open our eyes to what they really have and to for their parents and give us more information about how aggressive we should be in treating that particular patient with that disease. So you talk about these three tenets that really need to be in place to effectively screen newborns for diseases. And that first step is that assay to determine whether there's a risk of them having the disease or not. What is an assay and why is it important? Assay is just another word for test in my mind. So it's the test that we're going to do to possibly identify the people who have the disease and then move them into diagnostic testing. And it all grew out of PKU because in PKU, you have metabolites in your body that are elevated that should be lower. And the majority of the initial tests that were included in newborn screening fell in that category. So these were tests where your body couldn't properly break down protein. And if you tried to break down protein, you would have a particular metabolite that was elevated. And we could easily measure that using testing with machines we call tandem mass spectrometers. So the first group of diseases are all diseases in that category. We call them amino acid disorders, organic acid disorders, and fatty acid oxidation disorders. With a sprinkling of others, some endocrinologic diseases are included like hypothyroidism that occurs sporadically in the population, about one in 5,000. And if you do not treat it, the child gradually develops intellectual disability and it's very easy to do thyroid replacement. So that one was a little different than those ones with the metabolite. And we just measure thyroid levels of thyroid hormones, basically to make that diagnosis. And then we've added a couple of other conditions that we don't use a lab test for. We use what we call point of care testing for hearing. We do newborn hearing screening now on every baby because we know the sooner we know a child 
can't hear and we intervene, the better their cognitive outcome is going to be. Their language won't be delayed if we intervene. And we also do point of care testing for congenital heart defects, where we just put a little pulse oximeter on the baby's finger or toe and we measure oxygen levels to figure out, do they have a heart defect that maybe we don't hear a murmur that we can intervene earlier and have a better outcome rather than a presenting with a problem and the child being critically ill and perhaps dying or having long-term sequelae from that problem. So you mentioned the types of diseases that we currently screen for. Why is TSC so different from those diseases? TSC really doesn't fall into any of the categories I just mentioned. So TSC doesn't have an abnormal metabolite that we can easily screen for with a tandem mass spec. TSC doesn't have something like we can just do a finger pulse oximeter or do a hearing screen. So right now, the best option with TSC would be to figure out, is there a protein in the blood that we could screen for easily? With our second choice being using genetics. Now, genetics right now is not used as a first line for newborn screening except in one of the RUSP diseases, and that's a disease called spinal muscular atrophy. And in spinal muscular atrophy, we know that the majority of people who have it, it's recessively inherited, have two copies of the gene, and both of those copies have part of the gene missing, a specific exon 7 that we can do a quick and easy molecular test. In TSC, we can do genetic testing, but we have to look thoroughly at both genes, and that's much more expensive and more difficult to do. I'm a little bit excited, though, that consideration is being given now to using sequencing as a first-line screening tool in newborn screening. I had a meeting this Monday, two days ago, with the head of our newborn screening program here in Texas, Dr. Friedenberg, and she talked a little bit about how with the prices decreasing, that sequencing and using genetics may come into newborn screening sooner than we thought. We were thinking it was a number of years off, but as prices continue to go down, the technology gets better. Maybe sequencing could end up being an answer for us. But right now in today's world, what we need to do for TSC is to develop an assay that tests looking at protein in the blood and see if we can determine when a person is born, do they have a decreased level of either either the TSC2 protein, tuberin, or the TSC1 protein, Hamerton, thus alerting us for their diagnostic testing. Perhaps we would do testing by sequencing. So that's kind of what we came up with in the wonderful Newborn Screening Summit hosted by the TSC Alliance last fall, was that looking for a protein assay and developing a protein assay would be a good way to go. And the TSC Alliance pulled together a great group of individuals, some of whom were newborn screening experts, some were TSC experts, people from the federal agencies, people from other patient advocacy groups. So they really pulled together a good group of people to think about this. And I think they got some good interest from, I think, some scientists who can develop this type of assay for us. So just taking a step back and talking about that assay, you mentioned that, you know, you're looking at protein levels in blood and typically newborns do that heel prick where they take some blood from their heel and they test it. Why is blood so useful when testing and screening newborns? Blood is our easiest 
access to someone's tissues and what's going on in their body. Blood is easy to get. We don't want to do skin biopsies. That's more invasive. And if you need a tissue sample, blood is really the best option that we have. And so now moving forward, how would a researcher theoretically start developing an assay to look at these different protein levels, you know, homartin and tuberin in blood? So my understanding, this is not what I do, but my understanding from these wonderful minds who were gathered together at the summit is they need newborn screening blood spots from people who we know have TSC and maybe some controls to try to look at how they can measure tuberin and hammerton in those samples. Because basically right now, that's the infrastructure that we have is to use the blood spots and figure out an assay and a way to try to measure that protein. And they got some great interest from people who do that. So I'm real hopeful. Looking forward then, and going back to the three tenants that we started off talking about, once an assay is in place for TSC where it can reliably screen for infants who are at risk of developing TSC, what comes next? So at that point, there would need to be a committee submitting a letter of intent or a package to the recommended uniform screening panel to try to get tuberous sclerosis added to the rust. And you have to, you know, clear some hurdles. And I think one hurdle we know is clear. We know tuberous sclerosis is common. It is more common than many diseases already on the rust. It's one in 10,000, and we know there are diseases on there that are one in 100,000, one in 200,000. We know that there are bad outcomes and that we would like to know sooner that someone has it. We're a little bit lacking right now in interventions that reliably change the course, that come early. So right now, a lot of people are working on that piece of the puzzle. There are a couple of great research projects. There's the PREVENT project Dr. Bevan is heading up. There's STOP2 that Dr. Kruger is heading up. My colleague, Dr. Farage, is looking at modifier genes. And perhaps these studies that are all in place now, and there are many others. I just happen to know those because I'm involved with those. These studies that will show us that intervening before there's a problem makes a difference. We need that data. So that's very important. So I think in tandem, we need to be developing the assay and we need to be proving that being proactive in treating tuberous sclerosis is going to make a big difference in the outcome. So that's kind of where I see that we are right now. And I feel like scientists and physicians are moving forward on both those tracks to try to get us there. But then we'll need to submit the application and it would be reviewed by panels of experts and people would decide, is this a disease that we think is worthy of being on the rust. And once we would get the green light from the being added, then it would be recommended for all the states in the United States to add the screening method that has been developed. And then it would fall on our great volunteers to help advocate at the state level to get it added, I imagine. Yep, absolutely. So as you were saying, we're sort of on a dual track of moving newborn screening forward, the development of the assay and these studies looking at early intervention and whether that's effective in changing outcomes. And these studies are long studies looking at infants up until age two, three. So what's a realistic timeline for being able to eventually submit that letter to add TSC to the newborn screening panel? I really don't 
think I can give you a timeline. I don't think right now I can make an accurate even guess. I'm going to be really hopeful and say that I hope within five to 10 years we're submitting to the HRSA to get approval and get TSC added to newborn screening as a recommended disease to screen for. I'm I'm going to go out there on a limb and say five to 10 years. I'm hoping we'll have the pieces of the puzzle all put together. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to ask you this question is because I think for people listening, it's important to really make it clear that this is a long process and that we are just at the start of it. And there are a lot of things that need to be in place to even make a compelling case to get it added. So while it's very exciting, that we're making these strides, it's going to take some time to ultimately get to that finish line. Well, absolutely, Daniel. But you know, back when I started with TSC in the 80s, finding the genes was pie in the sky. And that happened within a decade of my becoming interested in tuberous sclerosis in 1987. By 1997, we had both of the genes. And that then opened the door to figuring out what was going wrong in the body that led to therapies, the great therapies we have now with mTOR inhibitors and even other therapies that we're starting to develop. So, you know, I've become a believer. I think that things happen faster than I would anticipate or hope and just keep the faith and people are working hard and the TSC Alliance is truly leading the way. I mean, they're they're forward thinking to be already have the wheels in motion about newborn screening. I I'm, was so excited when they told me they were thinking about newborn screening. I was like, wow, that's great. So yeah, it's it'll happen. Building off of that optimism, you know, what are the clinical benefits of being able to screen all newborns for TSC and what are some of the potential research benefits too? So clinical benefits to me are very clear. If you know a child has TSC and we're learning more and more about what we call gene Phenotype, phenotype correlations. So the screening process would occur, and then we would probably follow up diagnostic testing with sequencing. And that would tell us over time how many manifestations, problems someone's going to have, what we need to be worried about, how we can be very proactive about surveillance that leads to faster interventions. So I think that the clinical benefits are going to be very clear, that we're going to have proactive therapies to give better outcomes. Research-wise, it will enable patients and their families who are identified early to participate in more research projects, and it'll be more like a network and, and will be more organized, and I think that will help quite a bit with clinical research. We'll be able to have individuals who, I know my child has this problem, we're not having problems yet, but how can we help figure out better ways to prevent problems proactively. So I think it will benefit research, particularly clinical research in tuberous sclerosis. From the TSC Alliance's standpoint too, being able to connect with those families early and connect them to resources and connect them to people who understand what they're going through can only help them along their own journey too. So that's another side benefit of finding them early and not missing people. Thank you so much for getting us all excited about the potential of newborn screening and helping to provide what a roadmap forward looks like. I really appreciate your expertise and taking time to talk to me today. Daniel, it's been great meeting you and keep working hard for the TSC Alliance. I will. Thank you so much. My thanks again to Hope for providing such important context to what is involved in successfully advocating for a disease to be added to the newborn screening panel. 
Next, I spoke to Dr. Steve Roberts, Chief Scientific Officer at the TSC Alliance, to better understand how newborn screening fits into our larger research efforts as an organization, what steps we have taken to date to move this process forward, and what potential hypotheses we are hoping to test through new research funding. Here's my conversation with Steve. So we're now talking to Steve Roberts, Chief Scientific Officer at the TSC Alliance. Steve, thank you for talking to me once again. Hi, Dan. My pleasure. So in a lot of conversations about TSC research recently, there's been this focus on newborn screening. Why is newborn screening such a major focus of our research efforts? It's a great question, and it is starting to grow as a part of our research effort. So to start with the big picture, as you and I think most of our listeners realize, TSC differs very much how it manifests from person to person. But we have very clear evidence that the most severe and irreversible neurological defects, so these are typically epilepsy that's refractory, that means it's not well controlled by current medications even by trying multiple medications, and intellectual disability. So developmental delay, loss of ability or decreased ability to learn or to communicate, et cetera, that can be irreversible. These are strongly correlated with a delay in diagnosis and a delay in getting treatment. So diagnosis at birth could diagnose babies with TSC almost as early as possible, right? And then avoid the diagnostic odyssey that often leads to a delayed diagnosis and treatment. There's a trial called the PREVENT trial that's running right now that will read out its results in the first half of next year, 2022. And it's testing whether treatment with a drug called Vigabatrin, which is often used to treat seizures after they begin. The PREVENT trial is looking at whether treatment with Vigabatrin before the seizures begin in babies who have already been diagnosed with TSC is clearly better than waiting until the seizures start. If that PREVENT trial is positive and upholds that hypothesis, that early treatment, even before seizures start, is better than waiting until after they start, it really strongly argues for the need to test and detect TSC before people would otherwise consider it as a diagnosis, which is usually after the seizures have already begun. So last year, the TSC Alliance took their first step in really exploring this concept of newborn screening in TSC by hosting an innovation workshop. So first off, what were the aims going into that workshop? First of all, it was to help the TSC community understand what is newborn screening and what are the requirements of a newborn screening assay. Then secondly, it was to have TSC experts discuss what might be potential ways that TSC could be diagnosed in blood spots taken from babies at birth. The third aim is really putting those two things together. If we understand what's needed from an assay, and we think about what TSC biology might be relevant to a newborn screening assay, what are the first steps that we need to take to explore what that kind of an assay might look like? And so the outcomes of this workshop then helped us develop a request for funding proposals to take that first step towards a potential assay for newborn screening, not to develop it all in one fell swoop, but to get us started on the right path. So who all was involved in the newborn screening innovation workshop? So we had essentially three groups of people. We had, first of all, some experts in TSC, so clinical experts, laboratory research experts. We also had newborn screening experts. So these are people who had been involved in the development of newborn screens, but not for TSC. So they didn't have much of a background on TSC, but they knew what it takes to make 
a newborn screening assay. So this is a great compliment to the TSC experts, most of whom haven't been involved in the development of a newborn screening assay. And then thirdly, we had a group of individuals from nonprofits. So not only the TSC Alliance, but also other nonprofit groups, the Every Life Foundation and a few others who have been involved in the advocacy for newborn screening or in doing what the TSC Alliance is doing now in catalyzing the development of a newborn screening assay. So in this way, we could learn from those three major groups, people who know a lot about TSC, those who know a lot about newborn screening, and then those who have helped facilitate the process like we are trying to do. And what were some of those major lessons learned, especially from those experts in newborn screening and those experts in advocating for inclusion of new diseases on the newborn screening panel? There were two major outcomes or lessons, if you will, from the workshop in terms of what directions we might go to develop an assay. So one approach is based on the biology of TSC. So we know that mutations in the TSC1 or TSC2 genes many times lead to a loss of production of those proteins. And we know that the TSC1 and TSC2 proteins form a complex in the cell, and that if one of those proteins isn't present, then the other protein is usually also lost or at least detectable at a much lower level. So one idea coming out of the workshop was, why don't we test in blood from newborns with TSC and compared to blood from newborns without TSC, if we can reliably detect a decrease of the TSC1 and TSC2 proteins in the blood. So that might miss a few people with TSC who have a what we might call a, a functional mutation in the protein that doesn't lead to a loss of the protein, but leads to a loss of its function. But based on what we know now the vast majority of people with TSC should have a lower level of TSC. The real question is, can that be detected reliably, reproducibly, and with enough sensitivity in the blood to say this baby is likely to have TSC and these babies are very unlikely to have TSC? So that was one approach. So a very specific approach based on what we already know about TSC. The other lesson was really building upon existing newborn screening assays. So one of the things that we learned from the newborn screening experts is that newborn screening assays, because they're run in every baby in the United States, that's about 4 million babies a year. They need to be extremely inexpensive. And one way to make them inexpensive is to kind of add them onto newborn screenings that are already being done. It turns out that many of the newborn screens that are currently run look at metabolites in the blood. A metabolite is sort of a chemical substance that's naturally occurring in the blood. And it turns out that TSC1 and TSC2 protein complex regulates the activity of this protein we've heard of called mTOR, which is a key regulator of cellular metabolism. So there's a reasonable hypothesis that by altering TSC1 and 2, and therefore altering the function of mTOR, there are going to be metabolites in the blood that are different in babies with TSC than babies without TSC. Now, we don't know that to be the case. So this is a more open-ended question. Are there reliably detectable metabolites? If so, what are they? But if there are, it could be really inexpensive to simply add on a few more metabolites onto the panel that's currently tested with newborn screening to make it you know, much more cheaper and faster to implement. So those are the two main lessons that we learned, directions to go in. And so that's why we've developed a funding opportunity announcement to fund the first steps of research in the 
those two directions. So talking about the use of blood to test newborns for rare diseases and other diseases. Earlier this year, the TSC Alliance put a call out to residents specifically in Michigan, New York, Texas and California who had a baby born after 1985 to donate core blood and dried blood spots to help develop this assay that we're talking about. Why did we focus on those four states? The main reason for those four states was that each of them has a process in place to keep blood spots from newborns that have already been tested to keep them for a certain period of time and for valid and reasonable research projects to share those historical blood samples. So this was a way that we could reach out to the TSC community in places where they might have taken blood spots from those babies that we now know have TSC, but they didn't know that at the time. And those provide then a really important set of samples. That's because those samples are collected at the age, that is like within the first two days of birth, and in the same form on a special piece of paper as a dried blood spot, as the newborn screening blood spots are taken in every Every state of the country every day. That's important for understanding what we can detect in newborn blood spots, because we have other resources like blood that people have donated. So we have our biosample repository and many individuals with TSC have contributed to that, but that blood's collected from an arm into the tube. It's then shipped overnight. It's then processed. While it comes from people with TSC, it's a little bit different than the blood on a dried blood spot from a baby with TSC. So those historical samples can be a really important tool for the validation of a newborn screening assay in TSC. So we want to make sure we gather those resources together so that they're ready for researchers to ask that question. And so once we have those samples collected, how will they help with the development of this assay? So first of all, they will help us identify what we don't know. So we know because researchers have been working on TSC for a long time. Some of them have studied the blood of people with TSC, but there's a lot we don't know. So it serves as that resource for further research or some open-ended questions. Secondly, it's important for validating tests. So if somebody comes up with an idea for a newborn screening assay, there's nothing better than a blood spot from a newborn with TSC in which to validate that you can detect this particular change with this particular assay in newborns with TSC. So talking about this new funding opportunity, what are we looking to accomplish reasonably through this first round of funding? The first round of funding is really, I think, focused on feasibility. Okay, we have this idea about detecting changes in the levels of protein. Can we demonstrate that this is likely to be feasible or can we rule out that, no, we've tried this in what should be a very rigorous and simple way and it's just not picking up the difference in TSC 1 and 2 proteins. And so then we can kind of check that one off and park it somewhere else. Or we get encouraging data that hey, it looks like we can do this. And then that would lead to say the next step. Okay, what are the samples that we need? What are the other reagents that we need? What's the process? What's the next level of research funding that we need to proceed? On the other side, on the metabolite side, the first step should explore what looks like metabolic signatures that are different in people with TSC versus people without TSC, and ideally in newborns themselves. The next step clearly will be assuming there is some difference 
will be twofold. One is reproducing those observations in a separate and larger set of blood samples and dried blood spots from newborns with TSC. So we need, that's one of the reasons we're gathering those reagents because we'll need to, to replicate it in a bigger group of samples. And then I think the, the other part of that is trying to make it as simple as possible, but also to make the assay as sensitive as possible. So by sensitive, I mean that the assay needs to pick up really nearly everybody with TSC. If we get a few false positives, we can always do a second test that might be more expensive or more complicated because it'll be done on many fewer babies. We can always do a second test to rule it out, but we want that first test to be very sensitive and pick up the babies with TSC. So as we move forward, it's really about getting a viable, reproducible, yet inexpensive assay. So as you can see, there's a lot of, that's why this isn't just an overnight project. There's a lot of aspects to it to consider. And in this new funding opportunity, it specifically excluded genetic sequencing or other genetic approaches. Why were those methods excluded? It's really about the cost and the feasibility. As I mentioned, there are 4 million babies born in the U.S. every year. To do a genetic assay on them, even any time in the near future, is much more expensive than the current types of newborn screening assays that are run. Some people think and can foresee a future in which we could do affordable whole exome or whole genome sequencing on every baby, but the newborn screening experts really see no chance of implementing that in the near future due to cost. And of course, there are many privacy or other political concerns about generating and having an entire you know, set of, of genetic analysis on every individual before they have the ability to give their consent because they're only 24 or 48 hours old. So there are a lot of hurdles, I think, to cross. So primarily it comes down to cost. Also, if, or maybe we should say when in the future, it does become very affordable to do genetic tests, it's actually not a high challenge to include TSC one or two because for the most part, DNA is DNA. And if you can do a genetic test on one gene with very few exceptions, you can pretty much easily do that test on other genes as well. So if genetic approaches are adopted and become cost-effective, it shouldn't be a high technical challenge to add TSC1 and 2, but it is a technical challenge to add it to existing newborn screening assays at very low cost. And so that's why we're funding that direction of research. So after this next round of funding and testing these two ideas, what would be the next steps? One, if either idea shows promise toward the development of an assay or on the flip side, if neither seem like a reasonable path forward. So to take the first one first, let's say we get something promising in one direction or another. So in a general sense, the path is pretty clear. If it does look possible to detect a change in the levels of the TSC1 or TSC2 proteins, then it's really continuing to improve that assay, decrease the cost, put it into a format that can be run for pennies a test in state labs across the U.S. If it's metabolites and there's a signal that we can you know, reasonably identify a panel of metabolites that are specific for TSC, then the next step is that research to really define that. Okay, let's, let's really pressure test this. Let's narrow down the panel. What's the smallest set of metabolites we can test, but still give us extremely high sensitivity? And then reproducing that, of course, in multiple sets in new samples, et cetera. The specifics of what that looks like and, and the cost is, is harder to predict, but in a general sense, that's pretty clear. If neither of those approaches work, then it's, it's kind of a back to the drawing board. I think it's a regrouping and, okay, what did we learn? Did we not succeed because we didn't have enough of the right samples? Would it help 
to collect samples in a different way or a bigger set? Or what other questions should we be asking that we didn't ask the first time around? So it's really difficult to say what we would do specifically in terms of funding, but it's pretty clear that we would regroup, we would get people together, we would really take a deep dive into what we did learn and then ask, okay, now having done this, what what do we think the next approach might be? What do you think the timeline is realistically until we get to a point where we have an effective assay that we can then bring forward for inclusion in the newborn screening panel? I think realistically to get an assay is probably at least five years. Now there's always a chance of doing it faster. If things fall into place fairly quickly and the first few experiments are successful, so I can't rule that out. There's also a chance that, you know, as you asked in a previous question, what if we don't find the result we were looking for, that it could take much longer than five years. But I think that's a reasonable guesstimate of time. And in thinking about criteria for inclusion in newborn screening, the first is obviously an assay that is sensitive and effective and relatively cost effective in identifying newborns. And then there's this question of clinical utility. So whether there are treatments involved or early interventions that are possible, and also this idea that newborns couldn't easily be diagnosed without screening. Do you think that those pieces in terms of a justification for including TSC are in place or at least are in the process of being in place? Yes, I think those are in the process of being in place. And so the key piece of that is the prevent data, which we should hear about kind of the middle of 2022. And at that point, I think it's fair that we would start advocating for the inclusion of an assay. So of course we have to have the assay and it has to be scientifically sound, rigorous, reproducible, inexpensive, et cetera. But we can start really strongly building that rationale and the case to advocate for the need for newborn screening so that when the assay is ready, we have a complete package to take forward and make that argument. And while there is a recommended uniform screening panel that is issued at a federal level, isn't it true that every state kind of gets to choose which diseases are included in its screening panel? And so the advocacy wouldn't just be federally, maybe initially it would be, but then it would be a state by state campaign to include TSC. That's exactly right. Every state is different. Fortunately, some of them will have legislation in place where they automatically adopt the federal recommendations. Those would be the easy ones. The harder ones, of course, are those that have to go through the process on their own. Their legislatures might meet only once a year. And so you really have to think and plan out, you know, in advance, an individualized state by state strategy. So then thinking big picture, what would it mean for our mission to be able to screen all newborns in the U.S. for TSC? So it's really impacts our ability to prevent the most severe and irreversible neurological effects, the refractory epilepsy and the intellectual disability, while also getting ahead of other manifestations, autism, SAGAs, angiomyelopomas, all of those that have slightly later onset usually than the epilepsy, we can also get ahead of because we've had that diagnosis at birth of having TSC. So in terms of our mission of finding a cure while improving the lives of those affected, this gives us a great opportunity to improve those lives and everybody's life who has TSC because we're diagnosing them very, very early. And certainly when a cure, whatever that looks like, is available, We'll know who has TSC as soon as they're born, and we'll be able to implement that. So it, it really is a large step forward 
in helping us fulfill our mission. Well, it's certainly an exciting area of research. I know that we're still a ways off from getting to that place, but it's just really exciting to hear about how we're taking that first step. And thank you for sharing about what we've been doing so far. And I look forward to hearing more about newborn screening as we move forward. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for the opportunity. And and thanks to everyone for listening. My thanks again to Steve for sharing how the TSC Alliance is going about pursuing an assay to eventually one day advocate for the inclusion of TSC on the newborn screening panel. It's clear that doing so would fundamentally alter our ability to empower all those living with TSC to live their fullest lives. To illustrate that point, here's a hypothetical scenario in the future. All newborns in the U.S. are screened for TSC using a simple heel prick test that is validated cost-effective, and sensitive enough to catch all cases of TSC. Those newborns that are identified as being at risk of having TSC then have a diagnostic genetic test to confirm the diagnosis. Current research looking at genotype-phenotype correlations made possible by your participation in the Natural History Database and TSC Biosample Repository allow us to not only confirm that TSC diagnosis, but based on the mutation, give that family a very clear picture of what manifestations their child is most at risk of. Ongoing studies like the PREVENT trial, TASERN, and STOP2 lay the groundwork for early intervention, so biomarkers trigger treatment that prevent the onset of seizures, developmental delay, and autism. And as we continue to develop evidence-based standards of care, that baby can have a treatment plan that is personalized and most effective for them. That is the future that newborn screening can one day help unlock. We are still a long way from that reality, but it is so exciting to be taking the first steps now. As Steve mentioned, we are still collecting dried blood spots and cord blood from babies with TSC born after 1985 in Michigan, New York, Texas, and California. If you are interested in donating samples that are potentially stored in your state to the TSC Alliance, please email biosample at tscalliance.org. We also have a new funding opportunity for newborn screening assay development. If you are a researcher interested in learning more about this opportunity and submitting a letter of intent, you can learn more at tscalliance.org slash grants. The deadline to submit an LOI is Monday, August 23rd. That will do it for this episode of TSC Now. Thanks as always for listening, and I will see you next month. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.